This is the SFF Audio Podcast. Hi, I'm Jesse. Good morning. This is Mark Douglas Nelson. Good morning. Uh, you've got a website called SciPodBooks.com, right? I do. I run the SciPodcast. It's currently serializing a book I just finished listening to. What was it called? The Syndic. The Syndic. Oh, I thought you were... Uh, okay. The Syndic uh, is serialized there as well? Yes. Yeah. Oh, okay. Um, then what's the one that you're just starting? Uh, the City at World's End. The City at World's End, right. Okay, so I, I finished that one last week. I've just finished the Syndic before we've, we've, we're recording this. And um, you've got some really old science fiction novels on your, on your blog, on your podcast. Well, yeah. Um, Who gave you this wonderful idea? I mean, well, terrible idea. That's terrible. <laughs> uh, SFF Audio is the source of almost all the stuff I put up there. Ah, well, that's that's convenient. I, I, I'm going to have to check that site out. Um, I uh, I don't know what to make of the Syndic. What, what did you think of it? Well, the Syndic is an interesting book in that um, it's, it's, it's one of those, one thing you can do in sci-fi that you really can't do in other areas is you can ask real questions about current issues that you couldn't get away with without putting it either into the future or on another planet or in some alternate universe. So uh, a question like, um, is representative democracy really the best form of government? Right. Uh, yeah, well, it does ask that question. Well, nobody's going to have that discussion. I mean, not seriously. Yeah. Uh, but if you put it in a, in a different world, in a different time, you can. And you can raise questions about uh, the flaws in what we all kind of assume is the best form of government on the, in the world, uh, of uh, end of all time, um, <laughs> by, by, by putting it in a different place. Yeah. Um, and, um, it actually reminds me of a couple of others and I was searching through my memory here, but oath of fealty, I think. Oh, sure. Uh, raises the same kind of questions. Um, also reminded me of uh, a lot of H beam Piper's books, specifically space Viking. Oh yeah, I, that's uh, that's one I wasn't thinking of talking about, but that you did that too as well. I did right? a long time ago. Yeah, yeah, that's a yeah. I'm a, I like uh, H. P. and Piper, and, and in a way they're kind of similar. Cornbluth uh, and uh, Piper both died relatively young, um, and I think you know, like especially in this book, I, I've read Cornbluth before, and he's he's got a um, a wealth of ideas, but I'm not sure. Uh, he he was better by himself than he was with Paul. You know, when he writes with Paul, there's all the great ideas are in there, but there's sort of the moderating influence too. Because in this one, I'm like, man, you got so many ideas per page; it's hard to keep track of of what the book's about, and I don't really have a sense of what his exact. Uh, take on it was other than you know it ends with a guy laughing at the destruction possible destruction of his his world well and I think that uh, what lay the actual the story up to that point I think is really just a straw man because that was really what the book was about it probably should have been a long short story yeah I, I, I can see that but it's it's like yeah it, it is just incredibly dense with with uh, rhetorical flourishes and it feels you know it feels like a lot like Heinlein's early stuff as well you know you've got uh, an old uh, an older philosopher style character telling a younger guy uh, you know how the world really works and um, the younger guy has to go out and uh, battle battle some political movement and figure things out this 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 novel's got telepathy uh which is uh <laughs> a radical dystopian slash utopian political system it has uh what polo played with machine guns uh machine guns uh on jeeps I <laughs> on believe. Je yeah twin twin mounted 50 caliber machine guns on on jeeps uh, it's like okay he got a few ideas there and then uh, it's got the whole um, 
the mafia takes over the United States with the mob on one side and the syndicate on the other, and and that it's 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 bizarre because um, I I feel like I can't fix the ground and say okay this is what's going on here and we're gonna see it go off in this direction because it's always changing. Yeah, and I think what happens what the the the. You know, you've got, uh, you know, s- several movements. You've got uh, the beginning of the book that takes place in New York, where it sets up the world of the syndic, mm-hmm. uh, which is basically um, uh, the, sy- the syndicate has kicked the government out of North America. They've gone off to live offshore with a base in Ireland. And Iceland, too, isn't it? And, uh, it, it, and Iceland, exactly. Um, Europe has completely collapsed. Um, so it's like reverted to barbarism. Um, and then, you know, this offshore government is trying to reestablish itself in North America and take it over again. So this guy, Charles Orsino then goes undercover into the European government in exile to find out what's going on. And at that point... It starts to meander and you get into the witches and the telepathy and the druids and like, what is, you know, stuff that really didn't fit with the theme of the book. It seemed to me. Yeah, it, it, it's, it, it feels like it was written serially, uh, late at night towards a deadline with a million ideas pouring into this guy's brain and, and not crafted. Like I've got. Uh, an overarching plot. Like I'm not a guy who says we got to have a plot that makes sense and it goes from point A and goes up to the client. Like I don't say that sort of thing. But uh, this guy's ideas—that's really all he seems to be caring about—is getting those ideas down. And then there are scenes that really work well, but the 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 plot is incredibly strange. <laughs> it's, it's it's all over the map. It's that, that, yeah, that's, that's the way to put it. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's all, then you have the, the third movement when Orsino and Lee Falcaro come back to, well, they end up in the mob area at first before they get back to the syndic. So they, they go to Chicago where the mob is. Um, and so you have that, a third movement and then you finally get that payoff at the end where he finally gets to the point. It's a, it's, it's a interesting exercise. And I think, I think you're right in saying that it is a, it's a way of exploring, uh, and really undermining, uh, a lot of the assumptions about, uh, democracy's power. I, I mean, one of the, one of the things that pointed me towards this book in the first place was that the, there's a libertarian, uh, podcast that did a review of it. And uh, turns out that that's actually the review is mostly the introduction to the the libertarian text version that they've got uh, as a, a paper thing. I just did a comparison between the the actual paper forward to the book and the the podcast, and they're almost identical. So uh, it's like here's a bo- here's a book that's really important for for libertarians. And you can see a, a lot of under I can see a lot of the reasons why some libertarians would probably be attracted to it because it says, you know, morals shouldn't be dictated by the state. The state's job is defense and whatever else they're coming up with. Um, There's, there's a a polyandry and uh, nothing is illegal except maybe murder. Um, And that's all there's, it's not dealt with by laws. It's dealt with by anarchism or something like that. There's sort of a, an attraction there, I guess, to to people who are looking for a libertarian utopia. Well, what do you uh, think? I think that's uh, that's true. Um, you've got a society that he just dis- and and he 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 doesn't feel the obligation to tell you how this thing would actually work. You know, true. he throws a few things out there, and it's like, well, could an entire society function on cheap alcohol? <laughs> Free sex and gambling. I mean, could could the whole world be Nevada? Yeah. I mean, at some point, wouldn't somebody like have to make something, you know, have a real job, 
I mean, who, who actually paves the roads? I mean, yeah, there's no explanation. He doesn't feel the need to explain how any of this stuff will work. Also, um, he's fine with simply rewriting history a bit. Um, there's a scene in the book where, uh, uh, uncle Taylor, um, one of the main characters who's at the beginning, the philosopher, of the, very, yeah. the philosopher, the very beginning of the end says, you know, in the good old days, they had laissez faire, but they screwed it up and they screwed it up with regulation. It's like, yeah, mm, that, that okay. was, that was I, the part I was saying, oh, there, there's where the, the libertarians are, you know, there's too much regulation. Yeah. But that rewrites history because that's true. There, there was laissez faire, uh, management of business by government in the U S in the 1800s basically was hands off. You can do whatever you want. And what did gov- what did business do? They formed monopolies, mm. they fixed prices, they crushed unions, they had sweatshops, they used child labor. Uh, you know, it wasn't really a paradise. <laughs> not, not, well, it was a, it was a corporate, a corporate paradise in a sense. Yeah, I guess for robber a handful of yeah, the robber barons did very well out of it. Thank you very much. Yeah. But yeah, it's it's the um the the other strange thing that's sort of the ambivalence there uh, is that on the one hand they say oh we're not the government right we're not the government the government's offshore in those in those ships uh, occasionally coming to raid us right the we're not guys. the government but <laughs> they're in the place of the government they're they're going to uh, the neighboring territory right. Uh, the mob and doing a state visit that, that sounds like a government to me. Well, yeah. And, and it's like, well, you know, uh, in the old days when they had government, they had taxes that <laughs> was evil. So instead you've got Charles Sorcino who runs around shaking down businesses for, for basically kickbacks. Well, it's, that's how Hong Kong used to work too, right? They, they didn't have, uh, and not all places, you know, um, Monte Carlo didn't have uh, any income tax, right? They they did all their stuff through gambling. But the reason that can work is because there is uh, it's a kind of like a parasitical relationship with the state surrounding. That's right. right. You, you can't self-sustain that way. No. Las Vegas could not exist all by itself. No. They've no. got they got to have the rest of us making money some other way to go there to waste it. And in indeed the um, I mean what little we see of life in the syndicate is basically our main character walking down the street, shaking down businesses for their their rent money, or, you know, tax money, their protection money, whatever it is. Um, and he seems to be, you know, oh, you can't, uh, let's have a little, I guess uh, Heinlein would call it dickering about the price. Uh, mm-hmm. You say you can't afford it this week. Well, if you want me to come back and look at your books next week, that's fine. I said, oh, no, 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 right? So they have a little disagreement about what, what the price of the taxes will be that week. Um, I don't see the big difference between that and uh, a lobby group going to the government and saying, you know what, we should lower our taxes. Only difference there is that uh, one calls itself the government and the other one says, oh, no, 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 we're not the government. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's where governments come from, is is from warlords uh, regularizing and making a traditional their 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 behavior so there's there's a the the vision of what this for a novel called the syndic it's not really about the state it's about sort of ex- getting out of that state and going and exploring other places and it, it it is a it's a real mess of a book but it's incredibly uh reprinted it's it's been reprinted dozens and dozens of times and in many different languages so the, there's a big appeal to it somehow. Well, as you said, there's a, there's a lot of ideas in it. It's it is an idea packed book in 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 as big as any Heinlein novel I've ever seen. What what it comes down to me at the very end, the big question is: Should a society compromise its ideals to save itself? That's a good question. Or if it can't save itself, should it simply let itself die? Uh, well, I, I would, I would say that the, the, what was it? The uncle Charles, is it? He says, uncle Taylor. Uh, yeah. Ta- uncle, uncle, uncle Taylor says Charles Taylor. I think Frank, Frank, Frank Taylor. Okay. Frank, Frank Taylor. Taylor. He says, uh, that, uh, no, 
no state will give up its power. Uh, we're not the state. Therefore, maybe it's not a bad thing that we die. Something like that. And mm-hmm. then he laughs and laughs and laughs. And that's the end of the book. <laughs> oh, okay, yeah. Um, it's, it's like a, there's a big joke going on in this in this book. Um, <laughs> I think it, the joke's on us for reading it. What do you think? Well, I mean, it, other it, than the benefit of, 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 of having the ride. It, yeah, it, I think it is for the ride, and it's for raising the questions, and Cornbluth doesn't feel the need to answer them all. He doesn't feel the need to explain how this society would really work, because it probably wouldn't. Right. Um, and he doesn't feel the need to explain, well, what happens after, you know, the, uh, Charles or uh, Frank Taylor uh, gets done laughing about the, the end of the syndic. Does it die or does it continue? Well, whatever. You know, he just, <laughs> whatever that's the right he just, answer yeah. he just leaves it open um, you know he doesn't feel the need to wrap everything up he certainly doesn't it leaves a lot of, a lot of open questions um, which I th- in, in a way is okay I mean you know I, I don't have to have the answer spoon fed to me no you can raise the question leave it out there that's that's okay um, I think uh, uh, the other two books I mentioned sort of do the same thing um, Piper, you know, and, and w- w- one thing is interesting about, well, well, well th- all three books, you have this, uh, g- uh, I guess you call it a dictatorship or private government or the mob, whatever it is. It's, it's not, it's a different form of governance. Um, in each case, you've got the benevolent dictator. You know, there's no laws in the syndic, but yeah. somehow, you know, the head guy, Eddie Falcaro, the head syndic guy, and, and I think it was even described in the book, he always did, did the right thing, even if he didn't, didn't know he was doing the right thing. Yeah. Well, how handy. Well, that's, <laughs> uh, that's the, you know, the invisible hand, uh, is yes. not an iron fist in, uh, it's, it's, it's a, it's a velvet gloved invisible hand. Right? Yes. The, the, the space Viking swoops into a planet, blows it up, takes it over, and makes it better in every case. Uh, space Viking is, is also pretty similar, I think, to uh, another one you did called The High Crusade. Did you do that one? I didn't do that one. I'm not oh, familiar with that one. The High Crusade, oh, that's a, I think it's a Poole Anderson. And it's, a, it's a, a kind of a funny one as well because it... It it says uh, aliens arrive on Earth in the Middle Ages, um, and the the knights come out to see what's going on, and they have a battle with the aliens, take over their spaceship, and then go on a crusade to the stars because they were planning on going on a crusade to the um, to the uh, Holy Land, but <laughs> they got misdirected and went a little off in the wrong direction and well, overshot the target a bit, huh? Yeah. Um, with with their you know mi- uh, middle ages Christian values and and uh, determination to prove the world <laughs> you know it's it's uh, it's a ridiculous concept that also highlights the sort of the ridiculousness of of a certain social order. Well, the real event was ridiculous too. So Abs- oh, inc- a series <laughs> of ridiculous events. The, the children, the, the children's crusade. I mean, come on. That wasn't rational. No. And that really happened. That wasn't fantasy. <laughs> it is a fantasy. Well, it was. Well, it was, yeah. By the, the, the people who are conceiving it and the people who are going along with it. Um, but yeah, the, the, the Crusades are incredibly, strangely uh, uh, unbelievable. Um, another thought I had about the book. Now, Oath of Fealty was a little later. That was early 70s. So, yeah, uh, I think it was eighties, wasn't it? Oh, maybe it was maybe it was nineteen eighty. Well. Yeah, yeah, but space space Viking and Syndic were both early fifties, um, and they were also very close to World War Two. And 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 I think mentally we tend to rewrite history ourselves a little bit about how all that came about. Um, uh, the mythology I think we like to tell ourselves, at least in this country, is you know Hitler took over Germany. Um, you know, if you're the NRA, it was by registering everybody's guns first, <laughs> but, 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 but what is overlooked it was, you know, wait, uh, he was elected. He was hugely popular 
And that was an example of really the evil side, the mob rule side of democracy. In many ways, I think the case can be made that that uh, Hitler's Hitler's Germany was was ruled by mob, and as in the syndicate, right? Yes, exactly. Because they were gangsters, essentially. They were, yeah. They were uh, trying to control the streets. That's how they did it. They tried to take over uh, by by uh, when it's a military, it's a coup. Uh, when it's a street gang wearing uh, old postal uniforms or no customs uniforms uh, in brown shirts, you know, uh, it's more like the mob, I think. And yeah, they uh, their their economic system as well was extortion and bribery, and uh, it was it was uh, the way Hitler ran things is very, uh, you know, he he pit different bosses against each other and say, hey. This is what I want to see done, and they'd compete to get the job done. They'd have all overlapping, you know, territories. Yeah. So you're you're looking at a couple of books who were which were written at a point in time where democracy, in its purest form, wasn't necessarily a good thing in every case. Um, and in fact, I think in Space Viking, um, um, Piper even has the Viking studying Hitler to see what he did. Mm. Um, so, um, so I, I, you know, I, I, you know, the, the, the lens of things in 1950 are different from hopefully 2012, unless you're running for <laughs> office today, in which case apparently 1950 looks pretty attractive it's, or unless you're Ron retro. Paul, it, unless it, you're, unless you're Ron Paul in which 1850 sounds pretty attractive. <laughs> well, um, not, not that my vote counts, but, um, if, if I could elect a president of the United States, it would be Ron Paul, just because uh, president's power is prim- for me is primarily foreign power, right? Foreign policy, and he he is not for foreign intervention, at least as far as I can see. It would be more domestically, it would not be great for the U.S., but it would probably be a lot less uh, uh, foreign involvements, which I think would be appreciated by other countries. Uh, well, and a lot of people in this country too. I mean, there's, yeah, there, there are, I mean, these, these adventures haven't worked out all that well. No. Well, they, they've worked out well for, you know, arms manufacturers. I mean, that's, that's what we used to say about, you know, world war one and world war two is the, the people who want the wars are the people who make the guns. Yeah, but. Can you, uh, uh, you know, if you can't run an, uh, uh, an economy only on cheap alcohol, uh, <laughs> gambling, and prostitution, can't run it on war. Can you run it? Yeah, can you run it solely on 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 war? Um, yeah, well, run, that's not usually the concern of the 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 owner of the company. You know, the owner of the factory who makes those tanks that's doesn't true. really doesn't really have to care about what whether it's good for society or not because that's not where his focus is. His focus is a little more close to the, his own pocketbook, but um, there uh, there are alternate. Uh, you know, I, I, Isaac Asimov wrote a, um, a short story in which a computer ran the world, and they gave up democracy because the computer just knew knew better how to run things than than all these uninformed people did, and. Uh, when you had a problem, you just go to the computer and say, okay, so, so I'm not getting as much work as I'd like. And so this is what you're going to do. You're going to do this, this, and this, and then you'll earn more money. In the com- and you say, oh, okay. <laughs> I, I think that that is, <laughs> you know, that makes a little more sense. If you've got an all-knowing computer, right, that is essentially God, God for the earth, um, that would make a little more sense than a democratic system. Unfortunately, I don't think uh, our... Uh, I don't think Google's ready to take over uh, the world, and Wikipedia is not ready to take over the world quite yet. Well, yeah, and I, I, I'm afraid I still can't trust too much to computers in that I had to reboot boot my <laughs> laptop three times in order to get, get it to recognize my microphone this morning. Wow. No, no, but uh, they'll get better. I, I have faith in our... Uh, Coming robotic overlords. <laughs> I think they're gonna help us. Help us because we don't eat the same food. Well, as long as they don't run Windows, I guess. 
Yeah. So, um, the other book I wanted to talk to you about was City at World's End, uh, which I finished, like I said, uh, I guess late last week. Yeah. Um, that's a, it's a funny book too. Um, it's, uh, I, I really, that one has a real plot that really goes from here to there. Um, it's got some difficulties, but what I, what I really liked about it is it felt to me like one of those, uh, 1950s, 1960s disaster movies, mm-hmm. you know, where you've got a big scope, you've got a lot of characters, um, You've got a whole group of people who are undergoing... I, I guess that we still have those dis- modern disaster movies where you've got a large cast of characters and a bunch of people in difficult situations. But it, you take a whole town and you move it a million years. Like I said a million years into the future. I think it'll take a little more th- than that for the sun to expand into a red giant or whatever they've got you know, going on. Four, but, something like four billion, I think. Yeah, uh, it's going to take a little longer, but... Um, <laughs> you just throw the, a, a town in that far into the future and see what happens. Um, it's got some cool ideas in it. I think he's he's you know I don't think the main problem will be restarting the Earth's core temperature. I think there's the sun is the big issue, but because uh, we don't get that much of our heat from the the inside of the Earth. But there's there's something uh, cool about the scope of that book. What did, what did you think about when it when you were reading it? Well, it was, um, actually, it's funny. I, I actually read that story, that book, probably a couple of years ago. Oh, really? Yeah. So, and when I saw it on the list, I, I came back to record it, um, uh, recently. Um, so, um, I actually read that one just for fun once. Yeah. Imagine yeah. That, imagine that. No, I, no, I, <sighs> I, I, I think part of the fun for me in making these lists is saying, oh, that, that sounds like a good book to read, you know? And uh, I, I prefer the audio format, so uh, I try and find ones that that will be fun. But oh, it's it's sometimes it's sometimes it's hard. But you know, I I was uh, I was pretty impressed by that book, and it's a great narration too. I was too, well, thanks. You know, the thing that the, the Syndic and that book uh, both have the advantage. I think the positive is they they've really got new ideas. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, really, I'm, they may have flaws, but the idea was really original. And both of them, even though, like we said, Syndic, the story kind of seems to meander, uh, it, they both have that internal consistency, which I think you've got to have for sci-fi to make them work. You can yeah. be as crazy as you want, as long as you follow all your own rules. <laughs> you know, you can be yeah. Harry Potter, you can have magic, you can, you know, travel faster and light, all kinds of impossible things. As long as you don't break your own rules. As soon as you break your own rules, the whole thing falls apart. And That's you true. just go, you go, wait a minute, but on page three, you said this, now you said that, uh, I'm done with this. <laughs> but so from that standpoint, they both, they, you know, they, 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 they both hold together. So, so that book is, uh, yeah, it was, it really is an original idea and you really don't know where it's going to go. Now, of course the physics are completely flawed. There's a, there's some definite errors in the physics, but, yeah. uh, uh I, they're not, they're not, you know, like, uh, it's almost plausible in some, in some of the cases. I mean, a lot of it is hand waving and, uh, such, but. I mean, I, I think where it works, it works well. You know, the fact that they d- they discover shortly after arrival that, you know, it's just too cold; they can't stay there, and it makes uh, it makes for uh, it feels you know sort of writing. Uh, a lot of this is sort of writing by the seat of your pants. You know, just like get down to the typewriter and start typing. What's going to happen next? And they they just keep going. But I think uh, it can work. It it, it does work. If, especially when you got a, a good that's Edmund Hamilton. I haven't read a lot of Edmund Hamilton before that, right? Have you? Mm-mm, no, I had. In fact, um, I'm not sure I've read anything else by Edmund Hamilton. Well, he's, I would re- remember. He's, he's supposed to be uh, one of the creators of space opera. You know the the old old fashioned spaceships and uh, triplanetary E. E. Doc Smith sort of. Oh yeah, stuff. Um, and so it has a kind of, you know, the the outrageous physics that uh, leaps and bounds ahead ahead of uh, modern science. Um, 
<laughs> at a rapid pace. Um, but uh, there's there is still sort of a, a focus on the science of it rather than um, just it's not all it's not not all just miracles and magic. It's it's uh, and I think somebody was saying about the um, about City at World's End is that there there's sort of a respect for science. <laughs> you know the the scientists are like. Oh geez, I I don't know what we're gonna do. What what do you think, Mister Scientist? And then of course they they've got all the answers, sort of. Well, of course, uh, they also created the problem. It, they invented the bomb that blew them up. Is there's not much about that, right? It's like there's a, a World War Three happened and it hit this small town. It must have hit every town, right? Did they all go into? Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's. That's right. That's not explained. No, I, I was thinking like, you know, does this mean that other towns are elsewhere on the planet? No, it doesn't mean that. Uh, other, I mean, why, why is small town America getting bombed instead of uh, New, York, New York City or whatever? And, and, and why didn't the people in the past wonder where this town went? Indeed. Uh, we, 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 there's a lot of unanswered questions. Um, I, I think I in my post I compared it to a Heinlein novel that... Uh, it was called Farnham's Freehold. Have you read that? Uh, I don't think so. That one is, it's the same idea. Uh, people get nuked and instead of being disintegrated, because, you know, what happens, <laughs> nuclear bombs don't just uh, make a big explosion. They also make things disappear, right? Um, from atoms into energy. And so I guess the idea was that maybe nu- nuclear weapons were doing something more than just atomizing and and uh, vaporizing things maybe they were had some dimensional properties but uh i guess heinlein was working the same idea and that what in that case it's a family it's just one family that gets nuked and they're in their fallout shelter they when the when the uh planes are inbound and a direct explosion happens just above their fallout shelter and they're uh, thrown forward into the future at least a few hundred years or a few thousand years and uh, the United States is is gone and has been replaced by kind of like a, a Moorish uh, invasion uh, I guess Africa uh, wasn't nuked and so Africa has colonized the rest of the world and so it's white men uh, in a black man's utopia huh. and uh, it, it's, it works pretty well um, the scale is quite different, and uh, because of the dynamics of the family, it, it doesn't feel the same, but it's the same basic premise. Yeah. You, you, you do see a lot of uh, cross-pollinating amongst the different writers. Yeah, it's a conversation. Oh, yeah. Now, you know, the first, I don't know if it's the first one you narrated, but the first uh, audiobook that you did for the challenge, I believe, was is still one of my favorites. I think it's one of the best novels available on LibriVox. That's the uh, Philip Jose Farmer. Green, yes, Green Odyssey. The Green Odyssey. What a great book. Uh, I thought that was a lot of fun. Um, I, I, I remember going back and looking at some of the reviews of that book when it came out, and, and they were actually pretty brutal. Really? Yeah. <laughs> That's weird. And um, uh, I was reading some of his later books, Riverworld books mm-hmm. later, you know, and, and the front cap. Uh, jacket would have a list of all his titles. Green Odyssey was never listed. Never included. Yeah, I think hmm. maybe he didn't like it. <laughs> well, that's strange because it, it it's it's a uh, I guess it's a planetary romance. Um, and he he wrote a lot of books, but I'm I became very dis disheartened disenamored with uh, the Riverworld books after a certain point because. I realized that it was just the idea. There was no answer to, <laughs> at least no answer I was willing to read more more of the books for, to get to you know why why did this happen? It's it's the same idea. You know, you got a premise. Um, everybody dies and they come back to Riverworld. Okay, that's really cool. What's the explanation? Uh, aliens? What? <laughs> come on. <laughs> but, yeah. I, I think this one, uh, Green Odyssey, works really well on its own. It's got a lot of the, uh, you know, it's it's got the mi- sort of the middle age middle ages technology on a on a grass grassy planet, 
with those rolling the the ships on rollers like mm-hmm. rolling pins or whatever it works um and it's a fun adventure which came back in the uh, hyperion book by the way yeah 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 that's right now now i'm remembering it yeah <laughs> yeah um yeah you, you know there's there's something about um about the that era where you've got sort of uh a lot of writers getting contracts to write uh books either for serialization in the magazines and they're they're just sort of realizing hey there's a real potential i can write about anything oh this is interesting i'll write about that and just that becomes the basis of the plot I think there's a lot to be said, though, for writing a story that has, like in the good old days where they had a, like a beginning, a middle, and there's actual, actual conclusion. Uh-huh. Every, I agree. Every sci-fi doesn't have to, in my mind, doesn't have to go into 20 volumes. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean bring it to an end for crying out loud. And, uh, you know, why, why it, and, and it does take a little more effort to write fantasy in that you know, you got to describe the world you're in. You just can't say, well, you know, it was Los Angeles, 1967. Well, I know what that looks like. <laughs> if you, if you pick a new planet or something, you're going to have to tell me more about it than just that. Uh, but still, I mean, every, every idea doesn't have to go into seven or 10 or 20 volumes. Does it? That's true. No. Uh, in fact, uh, a good example of fantasy not having to be long and, uh, unfurling forever. I just listened to the, most recent Starship Sofa has a uh, short story, uh, maybe it's a novelette, uh, uh, by Neil Gaiman, set maybe in Scotland, maybe a couple hundred years ago, but it's very, you know, fantastic in a way. It's got fantasy elements. The main character is either a gnome or a, a leprechaun or something. And it works tremendously well. And he, he can write a, you know just by not specifying, you know, making us think it's maybe a Scottish place because there's lots of glens and, you know, uh, highlands and that sort of thing. You just go to, you get a sense of the world and he's got an idea in mind that is not just, here, I'm going to place a character in a world and see what happens. It's, no, I have an idea, I've got a tale to tell and I'm going to get you to that end. And when you go back and you listen to the beginning of the story, what he's talking about is the plot, right? But it works tremendously well. It turns out to be, it's a mystery, hmm. as well as being a fantasy story. Which is, it's, great stuff can be written very shortly. Uh, everything doesn't have to go into thousands and thousands of pages. No. Although, um, um, I should, I should uh, say that, you know, you, you, you have done a couple of serials, right? You did, uh, the Princess of Mars. That was yep. a way long time ago, right? Yep. That's that, true. Did you get a chance to see the new movie? I haven't seen it. No, I haven't. Just because uh, I, uh, you know, I, I saw one of the trailers and it just, I'm sorry, it looks so stupid. <laughs> I, mean, uh, I was I mean, impressed uh, by the early trailers where they weren't showing you that much. Um, I thought, oh, they, they, the only thing they really got wrong in the early trailers was... Uh, he's wearing clothes, right? Why do you add those clothes? Just for the PG-13 rating, right? Mm-hmm. It, uh, not that I, I'm like obsessed with him seeing him naked all the time. That doesn't really bother me, but you don't need to change things just to change them. And that feels like what was going on there. So I hear a lot of people think it was getting a bad shake, but I haven't seen it. I haven't either, so I guess I can't offer much more than that. Uh, now, one that I haven't read that I think I probably should, and I wanted to ask you about that you did, was A Voyage to Arcturus. This is a oh, yeah. science fiction novel that I've heard a lot about, but I don't know that much about. And you did it last year, right? Yes, and um, it's actually more fantasy than science fiction. There's not really much science in it. Okay. Um, and again, it is a book... Uh, it, it, and and it, it's like it, this guy goes to Arcturus, but then when he gets there, it's it's he interacts with a series of people on this planet, and everyone is a philosophical discussion. Wow! So it's just philosophy, 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 and it's just 
it's it's a very 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 strange story it's uh it's astral projection is that the idea um it was not astral projection it's there was this idea that if light goes one way reverse light comes the other way okay <laughs> so he they were able to physically travel to arcturus in like microseconds how strange uh, yeah so you know, so getting it, it was, it's kind of like the Princess of Mars where Carter just wishes himself to be there and yeah. he's there. It's kind of like that. So the point is he's there in this other world and now we're having philosophical discussions with people who are from another planet so they don't have to think the way we do. It starts with a seance. It starts yeah. with a seance, yes. Yeah, so it's a, it is the early, uh, well, I guess that's the end of the 19th century, early early 20th century where people are trying to make contact with this, this spirit world and that sort of, that sort of era. Yeah. The book, the book I think was like 18 or not 18, 1920, maybe yeah, yeah. Early, even earlier than that, maybe early, the teens. It's pretty, pretty old. Um, but it's, it's a, it's a, it's, it's very strange. <laughs> <laughs> what's, what's the, what's the, um, what's the connection to, cause I've heard a lot about it and, uh, I've heard it as it is a, a classic, but I don't understand, uh, what the connect, like usually there's a pedigree, you know, sort of the, the offspring of novels. And I don't see how this one connects exactly. You said that it was a central in your write up. You said it was central influence on CS Lewis's pre Landra series. Yes. And that's what other people have said. And I don't see it. Yeah. I don't see it at all. Um, is it, is all, uh, cause those are, those are metaphorical or allegorical, right? Yeah. Is this one got some allegory that we're supposed to understand or is it, is that, is that what the connection? If you could, if you can understand it, uh, you're a better man than me. It's all. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm going to have to try that one out cause I'm, uh, I am a big fan of philosophy and fiction. So it's, it's, it's different. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and this will be one where you get to the end, you'll go, okay. <laughs> now, uh, you know, you don't only do science fiction, right? You do, uh, you do other stuff. And I know the one that you're probably happiest about, uh, well, I could, I'm just guessing here. Uh, right. Ho Jeeves. Is that, is that the one you had most fun with? I believe that was the first solo book I ever read. Wow. Um, and, and, what happened was I, I, had, I had just got involved with LibriVox and I'd done a couple of chapters and uh, I wanted to do my own book. Um, and I'm looking through the catalog. Of course, you know, it was barely a year old then, so it wasn't yeah. that big. Yeah, 2006. Yeah, I was, I, was a, I was always, for many years, been a big P.G. Woodhouse fan, read zillions of his books, just love them. And I noticed there were, there was only one Woodhouse in the, catalog and no solos. So I thought, well, I don't have a British accent, but what the hell, you know, I didn't know any better. Um, so, uh, yeah, I think it was the first book I, I ever did solo. I've never, I've never read any Wode, Wodehouse. Uh, is this the place to start? It's a pretty good place to start. He's, uh, he's very funny. Yeah. That's why I, I, I think it wasn't our TV series. Yes. Oh Yeah. Because uh, I haven't seen that, and I've heard I've heard that it's funny, and yeah. I, it, there seems to be a lot of people who like science fiction also like Wodehouse, which is I, I don't see the connection other than maybe it's just good writing. Is that what it is? It's really good writing, um, it, you know. And and Wodehouse, it's one of those books where it's it's all very light stuff. I mean, there's nothing heavy. It's just you know he he likes to poke fun at. Uh, British royalty or, you know, the upper classes and, mm -hmm. and, you know, uh, uh, Bertie Wooster, one of the, the, the Lord that, uh, Jeeves is the Butler too, is like a nitwit and the Butler knows everything and gets him out of trouble that he gets himself into constantly is sort of the ongoing theme of the stories. Mm -hmm. Um, but it's one, one where, uh, there are lines written so well you just kind of, it, it, this is one thing that doesn't work in audiobooks. I just want to stop and reread that sentence yeah. three times just because it is just so brilliantly written. Right. 
Yeah, I. Uh, it's it's sometimes it's better to to do the 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 text. Uh, is there short stories as well, or is this is this a novel? Because uh, it's a bunch of characters um, that come at, back and back and back, right? Okay, so yeah, um, and see, I'm trying to think now. So, Right Ho Jeeves is a novel. The other one, which is uh, so, My Man Jeeves. I think okay. My Man Jeeves. That is actually a series yeah. of six or eight short stories. Maybe I should start there. Yeah, start with that one. Okay. And it has that, and they're not all Booty Birdie Wooster. They're 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 other characters. Uh, uh, but yeah, that's yeah. actually a series. Leave of it to Jeeves is the first in that collection. That that looks good. Looks like they're going to New York. Is that is that the idea? Yeah. Um, Richard Wooster is an English gentleman living in New York. Yeah. Okay. That sounds good. I'm gonna huff duff that right now. Wow, you! I was. I'm looking at your catalog. It says 569 completed sections. I guess that's one of the things they're going to fix with the new LibriVox uh, uh, funding that they're getting from some somebody gave LibriVox fifty thousand dollars. Yeah, um, which is pretty exciting. Um, the completed sections. I don't care about sections. I care about about books and stories that that should be changed maybe this is maybe this is not for me maybe this is for the uh the librivox people it makes sense to them well because not all of them are solo you know yeah. one reader you know a lot a lot of a lot of people just i do- tend to ignore those the ones that are n- not solo yeah um it's a way to start, but I, I... It's a way to start. I, and I would find... Uh, honestly, you know, people complain about those. And frankly, I would find uh, a book read by 16 different readers difficult to listen to as well. Even if they're professional readers. I haven't cared for those. It's... it's you, you just... You know, you get started, you're enjoying it, and then, oh, who's this guy? <laughs> yeah. I think I was... I, I, I was listening to an Orson Scott Card collection, and mm-hmm. like, it had like six different narrators... Oh, that one, that, yeah, that's, that is a professional one. That's kind of a strange hybrid because it's more like Dracula, right? Uh, yeah, yeah, and it was, it was. That a, can work that way. I, I, I think you're talking about uh, the, well, I, maybe they, they've done them all that way, but Ender's Game, I love that, that. Oh, no, not, not, no, I'm not talking about Ender's Game. It was, it was a, it was a, it was another one. Oh, because the, there was an Ender's Game where they, uh, edition, I think the 25th anniversary edition where they had. Uh, maybe six narrators, and every time the point of view shifted, uh, they would either change narrators or gender. Uh, or if there was two characters in debate, there would be two actors performing each each of the lines. And and so I, Harlan Ellison did the interstitial uh, scenes, and it was is a really great production. So it's like a qu- quasi full cast. Yeah, yeah, it's it's more like it, closest thing would be f- uh, full cast audio. Yeah, no, I I actually enjoy those. I I, I love the Airborne books. Oh, that, those are great, right? Yeah, I I, I listened to uh, the third one. Third one? Or uh, it was the second one. I, I, somehow the second one you couldn't find, and I the, really. I, I had the first one and the third one, and for some reason the second one uh, either you couldn't get it or they ch- they wanted like sixty five dollars for it. Oh my god! Yeah, and so eventually I finally found one uh, that I could afford, and I listened to it on a uh, car trip up in Northern California, in back. So that was a lot of fun. Yeah, that I really. No, like- the full cast I like, um, but it j- just just randomly swapping narrators. I can't say that I care for that. Uh, how, how many, how many books, uh, it's hard to say books, how many, uh, single productions have you completed? This it, it looks, it says 269 sections, oh no, 569 sections. You must be at least as close to, uh, what Greg Marguerite did, right? Which was apparently 200 hours. Um, I you think gotta be I, close to that. I think I did somewhere around 25 or 30 complete novels. Wow. So that's probably 300 hours worth. Yeah. Oh, I mean, so many of these are actually from the uh, SFF Audio Challenge. I mean, yep. I, I haven't finished all of them. Creature from Beyond Inf- Infinity, Four Day Planet, Green Odyssey, of course, Lone Star Planet, all those H. Beam Pipers that are public domain. Lone Omni- Star Planet. Omni- <laughs> Omni- <laughs> oh, that's a fun one, right? Yeah. Uh, p- uh, th- some people didn't like my Texan. <laughs> well, um... 
I, I thought it was pretty good myself. Uh, I don't know. Did John J. McGuire write anything other than with, with Piper? Because I couldn't really see the influence of him on there. But, oh, yeah, he's got his own Wikipedia entry. I could, I could investigate that one. But, yeah, it's like three hours. It's my favorite length of a novel. You know, it's really short. Nice, you know, get in there, get out, and enjoy the trip. Yeah, Kevin J. Anderson, he's not. No. Uh, well, he, he had a prodigious output like Kevin J. Anderson. It's just... Uh, but they were. They, it wasn't just one story. He actually yeah. had more than one idea. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and you've done other stuff, too. I mean, I'm looking at Principles of Economics. What 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 prompted that? Um, You're doing that as a series of of uh, I actually I actually only did a few chapters of that, and basically um, uh, I I wanted to do some nonfiction. Just have it in your repertoire. Yeah, just because I wanted to try it. I hadn't done it, and uh, you know, you, you, uh, one of the beauties of of LibriVox is it's a place where you can go to learn to do this stuff and practice and have something to show for it. Um, well, it's, it's funny. I didn't I, even think about that, but yeah, you, this is not your entire catalog. You've got you've got stuff on iambic as well, right? Yep, and elsewhere. Wow. Uh, oh, uh, uh, Wonder Audiobook, uh, but I think I think the Wonder is out of the Audible catalog right now. I'm not sure what's going on there. Is it? Yeah, I think so. Um, what What did you do for iambic? That uh, I'm. I'm just going to track. There you are. Did, All or uh, nothing. All or nothing. Preston uh, Allen. Preston Allen. Yeah, it was an interesting, interesting book. It was basically, uh, it was like the um, uh, diary of a compulsive gambler. Ah. Huh. And it's this guy who's just, he's like a Miami school, high school bus driver who gets obsessed with going to Indian casinos and just what is what happens to his life and what it does to everybody's lives around him. From there on, I, I thought it was yeah, it was a pretty interesting book. Yeah, it's crime. I, I'm a big fan of crime books as well. Yeah. Uh, tattoo, Cass, murder. Uh, yeah, tattoo murder case. I I believe I've heard part of that one. Uh, so what's it's World War Two? Uh, right after World War Two in Tokyo, um, and it uh, it takes you through the the uh, gangster tattooing underworld of Tokyo. Yeah, it, it had a feel kind of like those um, Tashiro Mufuni, uh, uh, Akira Kurosawa. There's there's a bunch of you know right after World War II era movies that are very raw. Yes, kind of. and yes, it's, it was like that, and, and and those were great. People who haven't haven't seen those movies, um, you know, you haven't really seen the real Kurosawa. In, oh, I uh, love it. Tashiro Mufuni, you see him as a gangster or as a. Uh, 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 business tycoon, the other things you've done, you really, you're really missing out if you haven't seen those. There's one I want to see uh, that I haven't been able to track down uh, where he plays a doctor uh, whose son is kidnapped. Oh, oh yes, uh, high and low. He, no, he's high he's, and low. Yeah. No, he's not a doctor. He's a uh, he's a business tycoon. Okay. And, oh, that's uh, the one you're referring to. Okay. Yeah, and oh, this this this. So the setup is he's about to engage in this coup to take over this shoe company that he's an executive of. And he's put his, all of his life savings and all of his money and all of his assets and trying to buy stock to take this company over. And right when he's ready to do it, he, he gets a call. His son's been kidnapped. Right. But his son has not been kidnapped. The kidnapper, kidnapper accidentally kidnaps his chauffeur's son. Right. So yeah, now it's been remade. Yeah. So now he's put in the position of does he basically sacrifice his fortune fortune to save the life of this kid who's not his? Sounds awesome. It's quite awesome. I I, I don't know. Why I can't track it down very easily. I've, I've uh, I think I have to go to uh, neighboring the, the the libraries. You know that they'll do uh uh what is it. Uh, interlibrary loans for for books, but they won't do it for DVDs and for uh, for um, audiobooks, which just drives me up the wall. I have to drive over to the neighboring city, borrow it, and then return it. So I'm going to have to keep looking. I think I got that from Netflix. Oh, really? Wow, yeah. But see, Netflix in the States works like you've got about 10 times as many uh, 
everythings as as what we've got. Well, we're special. They're more of us. Yeah, only thing we seem to have. You go to the documentary section on Netflix, and there's like fifteen or twenty documentaries on marijuana, and I'm like, really? That's what we got. Okay, I like documentaries, and I like penguins and everything, but uh, why do we have so many, you know, super heimies? And it's like, oh God, come on. I, I mean, I'm. Uh, I'm not against them as a rule, but don't we have anything else to put in this catalog? But no, we don't. So I'm gonna I'm gonna see if I can track that down. That that should be good. And that's it. Seems to be getting pretty good reviews as well. High and low. The no tattoo murder case. Oh tattoo murder. Oh oh well, that's good. Yeah. It was like four and a half stars. Oh, that's good. With four voters. Um, I, ne- I, ne- I never look at that stuff, so. No, well, yeah, it might be for the best. Um, wh- what about the other guys? You've got uh, Sweet and Low Down. That's a crime fiction. Yeah, Sweet and Low Down and One O'Clock Jump, both by the same writer. Uh, both set uh, around in Kansas City, World War II, uh, with a female detective. That doesn't sound bad. Yes, actually, they're, 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 those were I, I enjoyed them both. Um, I what, thought, what, what do you think about the? It's female detectives. You're you're male. You're doing a narration. Does that work? Well, yeah. There's male characters in there too. So either you know you, you got to cross gender somehow. It's not it's not told first person, I guess. Then no, uh, no, it's not it's not told for first person. You, I wouldn't do that. That would, yeah, I, I tend not to. That would be a bad idea. Yeah, I tend to think that that's pretty screwed up. Yeah, it just um, it doesn't. <laughs> doesn't jibe somehow but if it's a if it's third person it can, it can definitely work um in fact I, I i told the uh author who i exchanged some emails with uh that um I, i'd listened to the a for alibi book mm-hmm. and i thought these were so much better than that one. Oh well the sue grafton yeah and i thought the characters the main character was much more interesting than the one in the sue grafton books no the the, the I thought it would be really cool because I was really into uh, back when those started. You know, I don't know, it was like letter D or something. I don't know what it's up to now, but when the, those books started, I thought, oh, this is perfect. I'm really into crime fiction. And I picked them up. Like, it's not crime fiction. It's like girl and her life, and oh, she's a detective, and it just didn't. It, it's uh, it's a cozy kind of. You know, it's a. Mm-hmm. It's a dating, and oh, I need a bucket of ice cream or whatever. No, that's not what I'm looking for. I'm looking for gritty crime stories like Dashiell Hammett, you know? Something, something. Freak me out. What about Talents Incorporated? That's uh, that's from one of the uh, challenges, isn't it? Yes, it was, and uh, it's it's that's a fun, goofy sci-fi. It's, uh, what, what was the error on that? That's not seeing that, but, uh, six hours, about the same as the syndic. And I'm a really big fan of Leinster, but he's not always consistent. Um, he's, he's got some really great stories and he's got some, eh, they're okay. How, how was this one? Um, you said it was goofy. Goofy. Yes. Um, in fact, I, I, I think I played it kind of goofy <laughs> in that, uh, um, the, the talents are like psychic talents that okay. this, this agent sells these, the services of these guys with people with these sort of weird, bizarre talents, like knowing who's going to get married in the next five minutes or, I mean, just kind of crazy stuff. Uh, that is pretty ridiculous. Yeah. Um, although yeah, I'm just still looking at your catalog, there are there are other ridiculous things that you've done. Um, what's the microphone showdown? Is this oh, the- that's just that's just a micro uh, a, a series of microphone tests. Yeah, but done as an audiobook, right? Done as an audiobook, yeah. Well, so what was happening on LibriVox is people were constantly posting, "I want to buy a microphone. What should I get? What should yeah. I get?" And there's, there's these constant threads of, well, try this, try this. Well, what does it sound like? And people would post samples and whatever. And then somebody got the idea, look, I'll, we'll just do one where everybody will read the same poem, cite what, you know, tell you what microphone they're using. So you can go through and listen to all of them and decide what microphone you want to buy. 
Right. So that that was the whole idea there. Yeah. You're gonna have to keep doing that as new mics come out, though. Oh uh, yeah, and if I did all the mics I buy, it would be a thread <laughs> all by itself. I'm I'm rather, I'm I'm a gearhead. I buy stuff I don't need. So other well, you know, is, you, you actually do need. I mean, I've I've got a couple of backup mics, but you know they break, and you need to have something. You you got to have it, right? Yeah. But yeah, I mean, you, you can get carried away with it. Yeah. Well. That that I guess that would be my excuse. I, I get them just because I gotta have them. Well, you do use microphones a lot, sir. So. I I do use microphones a lot. Although, for the record, you can actually only practically use one at a time. <laughs> you know, having uh, six well, having six means you have five in boxes. Yeah, that's yeah, that's probably true. But you know, have them handy because some. Uh, w- w- what do you norm? What's your what's your default mic? I just use a headset thing. Well, today I'm using a uh, Harlan Hogan MXL Voice Over One mic. Sounds good. Which is what I've been using uh, recently. Um, I've been through a number of others. I've got I've got a Neumann sitting in its case, um, which I don't use. I paid a lot of money for. <laughs> should sell it. Uh, well, I probably should. And I've sold oh I've sold tons of microphones. I'm I'm I'm, I'm I've got a regular account with. My local UPS, where I go Holy to. Holy crap! These are expensive, man. I'm looking yeah. at them. Oh yeah, I didn't. I didn't buy that one new. I got that one used. It, but it's like three hundred dollars. Three. Oh, this one. Oh yeah, it's only three hundred. This is the only three hundred. This is the cheapest mic I own. Oh really? Oh yeah. Oh wow. I I guess I get. So you're saying if I just buy a really good microphone, I'll be able to read audiobooks? Is that is that how this works? It hasn't helped me. <laughs> This has been the SFF Audio Podcast. Please join us at www.sffaudio.com.